Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing experts in emerging areas of PR. We'll be taking those hot topics in public relations, dispelling any myths, breaking down the jargon, so you are completely clued up and ready to speak to your stakeholders by the time you reach the office. If you have any questions around the episode, please feel free to tweet me at Stella Bales. What I love about this podcast is sometimes my interviews take a new direction that wasn't exactly planned, but works out really well. This episode is a primary example of that. So I invited Jared Grimm, who's the co-founder at Pressboard, which is an advertising platform, to join me to debate advertising versus public relations. Jared's been in online advertising for the last 15 years, and I've been in PR around the same amount of time. So I imagined that we would be fighting our corners and debating who wins in marketing. Once we started talking, realized that it was not so much of a battle. In fact, we both have a huge appreciation for each other's disciplines. I've always been fascinated by paid teams and their familiarity with technology and how comfortable they are with automation and Jared talked about how he is fascinated by the magic between PR and journalists and how we managed to get these articles written with true third-party recommendation. That's when we started to talk about what a shame it is when those stories start to get buried under new content because there's so much more new content being pumped out now. But that's when Jared dropped a bit of a bombshell on me and told me about some new technology that I had no idea was available. So, because of that, I've decided to edit this interview for you. It's no longer a lovely, friendly debate. No, now we are jumping straight into the part of the interview where I find out how we can keep our PR coverage viewed for longer and by more people. Here it is. Thank you so much for joining me, Jared. I know that it is very early for you in Vancouver, and I'm based in London for the listeners. So thank you so much for joining me on this PR Resolution podcast episode. Today, we are talking about the relationship between paid media and public relations. And I'm really, really excited that Jared has joined me from Press Board. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Star. I just want to um, go back to a point that you said about that third party recommendation that you get in public relations. And it's something that just popped into my mind around advertorials and some of the sponsored content. There is absolutely a place for many industries and verticals for that type of paid promotion, for sure. But as you say, that's third party content and a third party coverage that's been written by a journalist is so powerful isn't it is there a way to ever promote that so you know normal PR coverage can you pay to promote that or is that is that not really a, a possible thing yeah there's definitely ways you can do it so if what you're after is having a third party talk about you in some way in a positive light getting that coverage is just step one so all right I've got this and I <laughs> It's probably the wrong terminology for like the PR world, but I think of these things as assets. So if my company is covered by, by the New York Times, then I have this article that's out there and it's an asset. But the news, the life of that news story is 24 hours. The news cycle is incredibly short. I think we, I was, we were doing this study on how short the news cycle is. And when Kanye West met with Donald Trump, with President Trump, then that news story, which should be like that's just a weird thing to happen, right? Like Kanye West, 
Donald Trump meet in the Oval Office like 10 years ago, that was an SNL skit. It still probably is an SNL skit. But that life of that story was only 72 hours. So, you know, I'm running a, a tech startup. Is my coverage on the New York Times going to last longer than Kanye West and Donald Trump? Like, I don't think so. So you have these earned media has become a tiny little blip in time, but that asset still lives online. The beauty of the internet is that that story is still out there. It's not like TV where it disappeared after I was off the morning show. It's not like a printed newspaper where they were all in the garbage the next day. This asset is still sitting out there and all I need to do is get it in front of more people. And really you have two choices. You either take that earned media, you bring it over and you turn it into owned media. And this is where I think the peso model is, is great because it lets you define what stage something is at. I don't think something is one or the other. I think it transitions through these stages. So you have this, and I'm going to keep using the New York Times, but the Guardian would be the other, or on the Guardian. You get this press hit it for like 24 hours. It's your 15 minutes of fame, and then it disappears. No one talks about it. No one sees it in their feeds anymore. And you need a way to get that back in front of people because it was so hard for you to get in the first place, and you're only going to get a couple of those hits maybe in your entire career. So you have that asset. You can either bring it over and make it owned, meaning you know, republish it on your own blog, share it on your own social channels, put it in your e-newsletter, and you should definitely do that. But what you really want is you want the New York Times to keep sharing that. And so that's something new that hasn't been able to be done before. And this is where, so this is where Pressboard lives. We live in this world of what if you could get earned media and then you could get the New York Times or Fast Company or The Guardian to actually promote that earned media story for you. And all you had to do was put some funding behind it because someone has to pay Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter those costs. So, but I would totally be willing to do that. And so there's this mechanism that we created, which is you can boost that editorial piece. And the reason that we did that was because we have such a strong belief that this third party credibility is the most important. So the more people that can see my article on The Guardian that comes from The Guardian sharing it on, let's say, their social channels uh, and, and paying to get it to more people, the better off that I'm going to be. I'm going to get more life out of that, that piece of content. Yeah, I mean, uh, that sounds like a dream. A couple of things that pops into my head when you were talking about that is uh, a while back, I actually saw a Google ad of which went to an earned piece and it was recommending some, I think it was like the top five earphones that were available right now that you should buy. And I thought it was an unusual ad and I went through and it was an editorial piece. So somebody had paid to promote that on Google. I'm guessing it was the top brand who were named as number one, but but you don't often see that kind of thing. But as a consumer, that's what you want to see, isn't it? That third party recommendation, not a, a brand pushing their message into your face when we our consumers now are so ad savvy. We're seeing more and more stories around that now, um, how savvy our, consu- our audiences are. But you were talking about the articles being promoted on the publisher social channels. That's really interesting. How is that possible? So this is just, is, is, is that possible through the, the publisher or is that just, is that something that Pressboard do? Yeah, so that's our core product that we've just released, which is, so in order to do that, in order to be able to share a story on someone else's social channel, and this could be an influencer or it could be The Guardian or The New York Times or anyone in between, if you aren't that property. So instead, you're that headphone company. Let's use that headphone example. You're the headphone company. You were ranked number one 
by ZDNet or Wired. Uh, the only way that you can be able to get Wired to get that in front of more people through their Facebook post is if you have access to their Facebook account. And it's really unlikely that that reporter that Wired is going to go and give access to their Facebook account to hundreds of different brands, right? There's just too much control that's given up in that way. So what we've done is we've acted as an intermediary. So these publishers give press board access to their social accounts, a really, really limited access. All we can do is promote existing content. So we're not publishing new stuff. We're just promoting existing content, but we don't, it doesn't matter if it's editorial or if it's uh, advertorial, uh, we can promote anything that exists already. And they give that to us. And then we act as a layer so that a brand can come in search and be able to see what their coverage is, and then immediately boost the post that's promoting it from that publisher. So they can promote it from ZDNet, or they can promote it from The Guardian, or, or whatever the publisher is, if they're in our system. And so it's really just, we're acting as this tech layer in the middle that allows a brand to do what they want, which is boost their coverage to more people through that third party. And it gives the third party, the publisher, what they want, which is more traffic, right? They want... Everybody, this is like, for me, this is the first time where everybody is aligned on the same idea. This is a great piece. Let's get more people to see it. And there is no, advertising has always been like, you have to have it because, right? Like you have to have banner ads on pages because the journalists have to get paid somehow and the publisher has to make money, but no one really likes them. This is the first time where it really just, everyone is saying, okay, we all want to get attention on this story. Brand, you have some money. We have a social channel and we have published this and we believe in it. And uh, let's work together on that in some way. But we act as an intermediary to kind of keep that church and state still exist. Just putting myself back to when I was a PR practitioner and remembering the hard slog that it was to gain a story on one of those big news sites that you've mentioned as examples. So whether it's a Guardian or... Or, you know, the New York Times, if it's in the US, it takes a lot of work. And I remember it, that's going live and that's quick celebration. And then you see it just being buried deeper into the site. Um, this does sound like an absolute dream that you can keep that lifespan going a little bit longer. And I think it's something that everyone needs to remember in, in public relations. I know from just talk, thinking about that lifespan example, when you talked about the, the new story of Kanye West and, and Trump only lasting for how long did you say it was? It was under 72 hours. Yeah, I mean, that's like you say, such a huge story and something like that just disappearing from our feeds so quickly. We, we do really have to remember that our editorial coverage does not hang around. And I think often it gets forgotten in public relations for sure, because of the way that um, so many teams still report. So often you'll see a, a PR report with coverage in it and the number and the metric that's next to that piece of coverage is the total traffic that that site has received in a month, not that one piece of coverage. Um, and I think that because those big numbers of the total traffic is still being used, people tend to forget that it's nowhere near that amount of people who have seen that one that one that one story, that one article, and that one brand mentioned. So I think that as we develop as a as a PR industry anyway, in measurement, then and hopefully we can be more realistic about who is actually seeing stuff at our work and 
and move along to this you know everyone is is at different stages but I mean this opportunity with with you guys into trying to prolong that that duration of an article being live does seem very exciting. It's definitely something that I wish was around when I was doing PR. I think also like the reason that it hasn't been around for a while is because at one point those big numbers were true. So if you go back a little ways and you went to print, if you had print coverage, it really was distributed to that many people. And there was only so many pages in the newspaper. And so you'd measure it the same way you'd measure those ads based on the distribution. I think the the change happened when you look at a website. A website is nothing like a print newspaper. So a website might have, so a newspaper, let's say it has 100 pages. A website will have hundreds of thousands of pages. And at any given time, maybe 5% of those pages are being looked at because they're historical. There's so many historical ones out there. So measuring the total monthly visits of all of those pages and saying that the one page that I'm on is going to represent that entire is just false. But if you're right, it's how do you come back from that? How do you come back from saying, hey, I got a PR hit for you, a million people are gonna see it. And then you find out the actual numbers and it's 4,300 people. That's impossible for you to be able to take. So I think there's a the lack of ability to know how well a piece of earned media does because we can't pixel it or anything else has led to maybe a ballooning of numbers or just a, a inaccurate numbers. It's not always that the numbers are just huge. It's just sometimes they're not exactly correct. But I think that's, you know, social media has given us a lot of insight into how editorial posts are performing. So we can see views on videos, we can see shares and likes, and this is publicly available data. And so we're starting to use a lot of those signals instead of the, okay, this website gets 100 million people. Therefore, when I got a hit, it got 100 million people as well. So I think the change is why something like this exists is that there's this idea, you got this great earned media, a third party covered you, this is really going to influence people. Now I need to find a better way to get that to more people. And paid is going to be one of those tools that I'm going to use. It feels like that the strategy with something like this might need to sort of pivot like mid-campaign. So you wouldn't know as a PR person whether you're going to get that dream piece of editorial to say that, you know, your earphones have been ranked number one in our review of earphones. You don't know for sure that's going to happen. So you, you wouldn't be able to exactly plan this kind of paid activity. So I guess you have to just be prepared to be able to add stuff like this in, I guess. Is that is that right? Have you seen that? Yeah, that's a that's part of it is just being really quick and, and reactive in a way and having, let's say, your budget set up and already know that I might get coverage across these ones and then being able to find them and then boost them right on the spot. But there's another element is if you can bring a story back to life that you thought was dead, but it was still evergreen in nature. So maybe that headphone company had a really positive review. Maybe it wasn't a top 10 ranking, but they had this like really positive review six months ago when they launched. There's no reason why you can't bring that positive review back into people's feeds in the same way. I've always found like PR is the most powerful thing, but also the hardest to predict. So if I'm launching a product, sure, I'll do some PR around it, but I need to sell a bunch of that product. So I'm going to make sure that I also have a marketing plan that is guaranteed to go live on Thursday and will drive X amount of sales. And then the PR, I hope, supports it around, has some air cover for it. But if you could take... And that's why I think of I think of earned media as assets. If I have a bunch of earned media hits from the last five years, and some of them are still relevant today, 
then why can't I bring those back up today as part of my marketing campaign? That's something that doesn't always get brought up in, in public relations. Again, I don't want to say that this is the whole industry, but I, I, people do sort of think within that campaign mentality. Um, and I think it's a really good reminder to look back to those amazing Halo pieces that have taken so much effort to achieve in the past. Because I think it's maybe just because we are so used to them disappearing, it's good to just keep track of those and bring them back where, when we can. Yeah, it's like the hardest thing about PR is I find it's like it's an exhausting practice because you get a few hits and then it's what have you done for me lately? Like, right. So remember, like I just got this amazing earned media coverage. And then the next week, the client's like, okay, what are you doing for us this week? That is a hard thing to do to always be, you know, recrafting a story and re-getting another. So I, maybe I'm lazy, right? Maybe, maybe I can't uh, do that. Like it's a, such a difficult thing to do over and over again. I'm curious though, I, I'm going to ask you a question, which is, why do you think that these two worlds of earned media and paid media are still, I know they're getting closer together, but why do you think they're so far apart often in discussion or the clients you can work with, how things are measured, everything like that? This podcast is brought to you by CoverageBook, the reporting tool that's made by PR people for PR people. Head to coveragebook.com for your free trial. I think to the point that I was saying earlier, that it's the unknown of what's possible. So, you know, if I'd listened to this kind of podcast when I was uh, running my PR campaigns, I would have been Googling press board immediately and trying to get in touch with you guys because you make it seem like it's achievable and it's accessible and I'd be able to to run something like that. So, but be, if I, you know, back then I didn't have that. So there was this whole unknown world of paid and it seemed difficult. I didn't always understand all of the terminology. I didn't understand some of the acronyms that I would hear in a digital all agency meeting from the digital team. And so I think because of that unknown, you just stay in your lane sometimes. And again, I can only talk from, from my experience. Well, I say stay in my lane sometimes. I did end up then going to a digital marketing agency to learn more. But, you know, not not everybody can do that. And and even then, there were still different departments staying in their lanes. So I think it's about trying to learn more and trying to speak to people more and everyone just being open and sharing what they can rather than being competitive because there is enough budget to go around now, as you said. But also, I think that the big sort of merge between the areas now, so the the paid opportunities you're talking about today in terms of keeping a story going and, and promoting it through the publisher's social channels, that just wasn't available until very recently. I haven't, I, you know, I, I didn't know that it was possible uh, until you've just been talking about new your new feature on, on press board. So I think that that kind of activity, hopefully we'll start to see a lot more working together and and hopefully this becomes a standard in, in, in press office. Um, you know, that would be great to see that this this kind of activity comes as standards as, alongside media relations and looking after your top influencers. Hopefully that all PR teams will be doing this and then more creative integration of paid and, and earned can come from you know the teams working together that was that was would be good to see well you're so you're so right oh so you know how when you were in PR you'd look at this like this paid side as like this is the black arts right like what are they doing over there and but media 
feels the same way about PR. It's this black box that paid people have no idea. I've been in media related paid meetings before and the client, the client, the, the thing that's the same is that the client doesn't think about them separately, right? They think like, let's get some earned. Let's make sure lots of people see it. Let's get a message out there. It's the practices that change. But I've been in ones where the client has said to the media team, hey, you already work with this publisher. Can you ask them if they want to cover this story? And it's just these like scared faces that are like, what? I don't know how to do PR. Like, what do you, I, how do you even find a journalist's email? What am I supposed to email them about? And how do I, is there a contract involved? Like, these are just two different worlds and everybody's scared of what they don't know. So I think you're right that the part of it is, and I felt this way about until I started getting into PR, I felt like it was magic, right? Like people were doing some stuff in a room and then things were like appearing on the New York Times. And I had no idea that there was like a process, a structure, a craft to it. I just thought it was magic. And so I think everyone kind of sits in that same place, which is why it is magic though, right? Like there is a process to it. Like you do have to form a relationship with another person. You do have to pitch them a story that's interesting to their readers in a certain way. There is a cadence to it. Like there's a, there's a craft to it or a skill to it that not everyone can do. But until then, you just think like that door closed. And, and this is probably why there's retainer models too in PR is you need to pay us to do some work, which is going to be hourly based, not just your contract, right? Like media teams used to be paid 15% on media spend. Could you imagine like PR being paid 15% on top of like PR hits? It's not even a thing. So yeah, you, you have these two worlds that have been, think that the other person is doing magic the whole time. But then when you get in there, it's not all magic, right? You can like, it's possible to learn and be able to do. And I think as we start learning what the other side of the marketing world is doing, it just becomes more accessible. And then we can start thinking of ideas on how we can combine these two these two ideas together. What a future that might be, um, not just working together, but if public relations started to be paid by clicks or results or traffic they were sending that would be an interesting development i wonder if in 10 years time no, probably less than that five years time we might be there i mean it would be i think if everything was performance based or outcome based it might be hard for a while but i imagine whoever figures that out will land all of the clients right so if you go to someone and be like hey i'm here for you and i'll be paid a one percent commission on products you sell and i will just i'll just make sure you sell products it doesn't matter if you're in PR or media or advertising or creative, that CEO, CMO, CFO is going to sign immediately. Mm. I mean, there are there are some PR teams, there's some interesting agencies starting to, to develop services at the moment that I'm aware of. I could name check a couple, but, uh, but they are starting to bring in those other areas of marketing and weave them into their PR practices. And I don't think they are working to performance-led budgets just yet, but they are certainly proving sales, which is obviously winning them a lot more business. So if you're not doing that, PR teams do start to consider. I actually just have some practical questions, actually, which I'm sure would pop into some listeners' heads. Do you have, being the organization, the platform that's between the publishers and between the brand teams or comms teams, how much content control is there? Is there an approval process as to what articles can be paid to be promoted? Yeah, that's a good question. So for the most part, no. So because the publisher, because we're not creating anything new, 
we're just amplifying existing. There's an assumed approval from the publisher that this can be out there in the wild, right? So we've already published us on the website. We've already shared it on Facebook. Uh, we've already put on Twitter and LinkedIn. That's an explicit approval that this can be out there in the world. And so getting it to more people, for the most part, every publisher is happy that that happens. So you don't require an approval process in there. The brand can just boost whatever piece they want. We do have the idea of a takedown, which is that a publisher can stop a post or not allow a specific post to be able to be boosted. And this may be for a number of reasons, but maybe the brand on the other side decided that this was such a good piece that they were going to put a million dollars behind boosting it. And all of a sudden, that's the only Facebook post that you ever see from, you know, whatever the publisher is, right, apartment therapy. And so at a certain point, it becomes that the publisher is like, okay, well, that's enough. We've covered that story enough. Let's get some other stuff into the mix. So we have this idea of a takedown. We also, our team reviews every boost. So we do have like human eyes that look at every boost. And there's a couple of reasons for that is because whenever you create something, I have this belief that if you create something that's powerful and interesting, you do have a responsibility to make sure that the bad actors stay out of it. And so there are, so as much as a, a company wants to promote their positive coverage, you can imagine that there's a lot of negative coverage out there that their competitors would maybe want to boost, right? So that earphone company, there's, a, there's an article or headphone company, there's an article that comes out that says, this is the worst headphones we've ever seen, right? Like, I can't believe they released this. This is the worst. Well, that headphone company's competitors would love for everybody to know about that. So you have to have some sort of controls on this. And then when it comes to other things like politics, right? So you have to be careful around politics. We know this, like, look at the last few years, especially in, in the U.S., that you can have other parties that can influence. Because it, when, you, when you have something powerful like social media and like earned media, if you have bad actors in it that are promoting the wrong things, then, then you have to make sure. So we look at every boost. Because I think there are, like, anytime that there's something interesting out there that can convince somebody to do a certain thing, sure, brands are going to use it, but everybody's going to want to a piece of that too. So do you work, I think the politics example you just said is really interesting, especially right now. We have Trump visiting London right now. So it's um, fake news and and all of his other hullabaloo is all very much in the news right now. How do you, so do you work with the publishers to keep a sort of editorial control on that? Yeah. So the, for us, the main thing is making sure that what we allow to be boosted is true. So we vet every publisher. So you can't be a fake news publisher. Come on, add your posts and let people boost them. So we are like highly selective on which publishers will allow into the boosting platform. And because, because we make everything boostable, we have to make sure that those are reputable organizations that are in there because otherwise, yeah, you pop up some, you know, fake site backed by the Russians and put fake news on it and then boost it into everybody's feeds. And that's exactly what we don't want to happen. So I think that the, the publisher vetting is our biggest responsibility. And then once you've done that properly, then everything that they're producing for the most part has gone through at least a proper journalistic process. But yeah, when it comes to politics, so that in that same vein, a lot of the politics stuff is opinion-based. So it's not about which headphone is, is highest. It's about who's going to form the next government and how this town hall, how a journalist felt this town hall went or this meeting went. So at this point, what's good is the social networks 
are really tight on what they allow for political advertising and our boosts all have to still go through their process. So when we boost a Facebook page, it still goes through Facebook's process and they've done a really good job recently just because of how much trouble they've been in for not doing it previously. They've been able to do a really good job about identifying and stopping posts that that go against the guidelines. And politics is one of those ones that has to be really highly disclosed. That's really good to hear. Just hearing about those processes made me think about the lead and approval time. What what should we build in as a team? Yeah. So the the one thing, and you've probably used or seen a lot of like social listening we that's basically our first point is have really good social listening either using like our tool set or else you're using somebody else's tool set but you're able to at least in real time be able to see when your brand has been mentioned and then look at it and decide whether you want to boost it or not you can do it like on the fly but most clients are doing like you said campaign planning so as long as you have the budget in place you know how much you're going to be spending, you know what your goals are, and you have some, maybe you have some existing assets or earned coverage that was out there already that if you don't get any new stuff, you can still use it during the campaign. You can have that already, but if you have the budget ready, you can boost in real time. So that Facebook or that social post can go live, you can hit boost, and within 10 minutes, more people are going to see it. So there's no lead time required on like getting stuff ready to go. It's just the regular internal client PR agency relationship timelines that you'll need. So maybe your client wants to approve every post that's boosted. And in that case, you'll have to build in a lead time for that review process to come up. Again, a very practical question. How does this actually look on on a New York Times Twitter feed? It, does it look like an ad? Who's, who, is it obvious who's boosting it? Any social post when it's organic doesn't say anything other than like the time the post went up, who the post is from, the information of the post. As soon as you boost it, what you're doing, and I'm going to get a little bit technical here, I'm um, use Facebook as the example, or Twitter, it's the same thing. You have an organic Facebook post that went into the feed and was seen in people's feeds organically, and that's the one that disappears right away. When you boost it, you're creating a mirror image of the organic post, and then you're deciding where the mirror image of that post goes out so you're creating a duplicate of it and then you're deciding who that goes to so it doesn't necessarily even have to go to the followers of the new york times you can say i want this new york times article to be seen by people in india between these three days i want like females age 20 like you can do all of your advertising metrics because you've created a duplicate of it and that duplicate does have disclosure on it so what it says is it says sponsorship so it says New York Times. And then underneath it says sponsored in like gray writing. And then the rest of the post looks exactly the same as the original one. It doesn't say who is sponsoring it. And the reason is the way that social networks look at disclosure is there's something called a handshake in like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, where you say New York Times with, and then you say who the brand is. You use that when the brand was involved in creating the content. But since this is editorial and the brand wasn't involved in creating it, you don't use that. Or it implies that the brand somehow paid for this story to be created, which isn't true. So they look for accuracy there. So instead, it just has this light gray sponsored. And all that means is this post is being or it's being put in front of more people. And there's money behind it that's getting it into your feed. It doesn't say who, though. And the reason it doesn't say who is doing it is because like what I just said, which is the brand wasn't involved in the creation of it. And technically, it's actually Pressboard that's paying to boost it. Like it's coming out of our ad managers. 
but so there's there's not a disclosure on who it is that is paying the money, but there is disclosure that it is being paid for. Very interesting. So you're still getting that third party recommendation. It's not obvious that um, the brand is pushing it. And so in so let's say that I boost to promote my article that we have on the on the Huffington Post that says the five best PR tools out there and coverage book is is number one in that article. <laughs> so I'm thinking about testing press board when I get off of this interview. So if I did do that, what does success look like? How do I, what kind of metrics do I see? You'll see the cool thing about anytime you put paid behind anything is like I said, you get all the metrics. So to me, what paid is, is access and control. So you have access to how many people saw that post, you have how many interactions there were with it, how many people clicked on it, where they were from, their average demographic, where the placements ended up. So you see everything. You get to see everything related to it. And you also got to target it in advance. So for your example, I imagine your biggest section of clients would be either most likely PR agencies because they're doing coverage books for their client. So you could target that directly to people that are interested in public relations or that work at public relations firms. And then you'll know how many people were exposed to that post, how many people clicked on it and engaged in it. And then you could even look at your own Google Analytics and see if you had referral traffic that came from, let's say, Facebook or that came from that publisher in the first place. So the beauty of paid is is that you get access to the real analytics. You don't have to look for signals. They just tell you. They just tell you exactly what it is that was exposed. It sounds ideal. I'm definitely going to test this out. <laughs> I just want to say, uh, Jared, just before we uh, wrap this up, because you've shared so much information about the platform. And actually, for, for the listeners, I wasn't planning to dive uh, so deeply into the new platform. But I think you can agree that this is a really exciting new opportunity. And I just want to say thank you for bringing something that's really extreme paid as uh, an accessible new tool to to the PR industry it's always as I said it's always been sort of this mystery or something very difficult something we wouldn't be would have to learn skills for years to be able to get to this and this feels like it would be quite easy to pick up and you you're working with PR teams now right yeah well I guess the way that I I see this is we each have like to do a Liam Neeson kind of thing we all have like a particular set of skills and so how we can apply those skills to be able to work together. And you know, I look at Coverage Book in this way. Coverage Book has the ability to take what used to be a report that just talked about hits and add like the visual of it and add some metrics to it, right? Like combine these things through tech and brings those two groups really closer together. So uh, my set of skills is in paid. So I know metrics around paid. I know how to get things in front of people. I personally hate banner ads, so I'd much rather get a great earned media piece in front of people. Like that's part of our mission is let's get good stories in front of people. Let's, <laughs> we have the secret mission, which is to kill the banner ad as well. That's for like another podcast. But yeah, I, I think that we'll, we can do our part in helping bring paid to PR because we're so impressed and like enthralled with this idea. It's still a little bit of magic to me. How you get a reporter to include a company in a story that they're getting out that their readers love like 
to me, it still feels like magic. And so I, I'd love to do my part to get that magic in front of more people. Well, thank you so much, Jared, and, and to, to your team too. Um, I think that, that brings us to a close of run out of time for our interview. But thank you so much. And yeah, let's, let's keep our new stories lifespan alive. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on the, on the podcast, Al. Thank you. This is the PR Resolution Podcast. Keep in touch by following me on Twitter at Stella Bales. For more reading on PR, head to blog.coveragebook.com. Don't forget to tune in to the next episode and make sure you subscribe to the series on iTunes now. See you there.